Here's a question. How many of you here have 2020 vision? Anybody? 2020 vision. Nobody? <laughs> wow. You know, um, you know, since I've been in high school, I've, I've been wearing prescription glasses, and I realize as, as, I'm, as I get older, my eyesight isn't getting any better, right? And um, I remember the story of, of this guy who went to his eye doctor, his ophthalmologist, to have his eyes checked. And, you know, the doctor told him to sit on the chair, you know, take off his glasses and read the chart, right? That's right across the room. That's what you do, diba. And um, what happened was that uh, this guy's eyesight was actually really, really bad. <laughs> and, uh, but if you've been to an eye doctor before, you know how it goes, diba. You can, you can actually um, read the chart, you know, you can squint and you can fake your way through the exam, or at least maybe part of the test. So here's this guy, he was sitting on the chair, and, and the doctor told him, can you read the top letter on the chart? And so the guy looked at the chart and said, it's, it's an A, it's a letter A. What about the next row? Well, it says C-Z-Y. What about the next one? It says R-N-S-T-V. What about the next one? It's J-M-B-O-X. Finally, the doctor says, okay, you can put your glasses back on. And the guy said to the doctor, how did I do, doc? The doc doctor said, you did good, except, you know, the fact that the chart contains numbers <laughs> and not letters. You know, having a good eyesight is very important because, you know, if you can't see or if you can barely see, of course, you practically will, will miss out on many things in life, right? But even more important spiritually is that when it comes to life, it's crucial that we see life properly. How you see life defines life. You know, that's a statement I put in your notes. I mean... What the way you see or don't see life shapes your life. Your perspective on life will determine, you know, how you invest your time, how you spend your money, how you use your talent, and you know how who the people that you would like to spend time with. Now, one of the best ways to get to know another person is to find out how that person sees life. And you'll discover that there are actually many viewpoints to that question as there are answers to it. So if I ask you today, how do you see life? What image comes to your mind? You know, that image can even serve as a metaphor and it will determine your ex expectations, your values, your goals, your priorities in life. If you see life as a party, then your primary value in life would be you know, to have fun. Some people see life as, as kind of like a race. So they, they want speed, they want efficiency, they want things to just happen very fast. If you see life as a marathon, you'll value endurance, perseverance, working hard, right? Some people see life as a game. And of course, if it's a game, you will value winning. So what is your view of life? What's your view of life? Think about that for a bit. You know, one of the main reasons that God gave us the scriptures is to show us how he views life. 
and to encourage us to learn to see our lives the same way as he sees it. And in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus gives us that perspective. You know, in, in one verse, Jesus tells us that the single most important perspective that you and I must have as believers is to become a disciple. As a matter of fact, discipleship is such a big deal with God that he gave the church only one job, right? You can sum it up in two words. You know what that word is or what that phrase is? It's what? To make disciples, right? You find that in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, the Great Commission. Before Jesus Christ was ascended into heaven, he talked to his disciples and he gave this great command. He says, make disciples. And so God is saying, that's your job as a church. You don't have two jobs or three or ten jobs. You have one job. The church has one job, and that is what? To make disciples. And Jesus Christ, during his time on this earth, he modeled that for us. For three years, he did what? What did he do? He chose 12 men, and he made them his disciples. And he would spend all of his time, all of his years, with his disciples, he would teach them, he would lead them, he walked with them, he lived his life as an example for them. Now, some of you might be asking, what's the big deal? Here's the deal, okay? You know, the most common term that others or other people use of us, you know, who are believers of Jesus Christ, the most common term that they use today is what? They call us Christians, right? Now, the truth is, that's actually really strange. You know why? Because the word Christian is used only three times in the Bible. And in those times, it's actually not used in a positive way. The word Christian was kind of like derogatory. It had a negative term. It, had a, uh, it was kind of an insult to call a believer a Christian. It's the way that believers describe for, you know, Christ's followers in the New Testament. Now, here's the thing. Although Christian was used only three times in the, word, in the Bible, the word disciple, though, is actually used 269 times. You know, 238 times it's used or found in the Gospels. See the big disparity? And so when you put these two together, it's not hard to figure out the importance of discipleship, of the call for us to be disciples. Jesus did not leave heaven to come to this earth to live, to die, and to resurrect from the grave to make Christians. He came to make disciples. Now here's the problem. The problem with the church, the church today, is, got, is that we've got too many Christians and not enough disciples. Put it another way, what we have in church, more often than not, are not disciples. And you know, Bible teachers used to have a term for that. They call these Christians cultural Christians. Now, a cultural Christian is a person who, who proudly bears the name, the label of Christian, but don't truly live the life of a disciple. You know, the fact is, a person can come to church and not be a disciple. You can read your Bible and not be a disciple. You can give money 
and not be a disciple. You can say the right words, you can know the right answers, and not be a disciple. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at Luke chapter 9. Jesus tells us in this one single sentence what it means to be a disciple. And I'd like us to look at four things, four marks that Jesus tells us uh, so that we will know if we are a disciple or not. At the end of the day, we can check ourselves. We can see our lives. We can see the way we see our lives. We can check the way we live our lives. And we can find out if we are true disciples of Jesus Christ or we are simply cultural Christians. You know, a Christian by name only. So here's the four things. The first one, the first thing that Jesus tells us is this, is that a disciple decides to follow. Okay? There is intentionality. There is a choice. You know, the first step to becoming a disciple is to want to become one. Okay? Notice how Jesus says it here. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said, Jesus, this is Jesus. Then Jesus said to them all, if anyone would come after me. Okay? One translation renders it this way. It says, whoever wants to be my disciple. Now notice this, that this is what? This is an invitation. It's not a command. Jesus did, say, did not say, you've got to be a disciple. No, he says, if anyone would come after me. And that tells us something. Is that Jesus is looking for people who want to become his disciples. That means, if you don't want to, you don't have to. Okay? You have to want it. You have to make a choice. Now, that first part of Jesus' statement actually, actually surprises me. You know, because I would have thought that, you know, this is Jesus Christ, right? This is the God incarnate. This is the Word, the word who became flesh. I mean, he would have said, well, since all of you wants to be my disciple. No, he doesn't say that, right? This is, this is Jesus, the, the one who holds the world together. The Jesus who is worthy of worship. Now, we might think that everybody would want to be his disciple. But the truth is this. Not everybody wanted to be his disciple. In fact, in John chapter 6, we will read that Jesus begins to teach the people and things that are hard to accept. And look at what we, we are told in John chapter 6, verse 66. It says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Oh, very interesting, right? You would have thought that since this is Jesus, everybody would say, I want to follow you. People actually began to turn their back on him. And you know what? It doesn't just happen in the Gospels. It is still true even in the church today. I have seen more people who have said no to Jesus than those who have said yes to him. So that tells us that Jesus won't force us to be a disciple. But if you want to, you can. That's actually the truth about Christianity, right? We have to make a decision to, to, to follow Christ. And then notice that Jesus also never includes qualifications in his invitation. 
He didn't, he didn't say you have to, be, to, to have a certain degree or you have to be a high school graduate or you have to have a certain height or a certain skin color or a certain nationality or ethnicity. So you can be rich, you can be poor, you can be educated, you can be uneducated, you can be black or you can be white or anything in between. Jesus will take you if you want to. It's an open invitation for everybody. But here's the thing. You have to choose to be a disciple. You know, life is a matter of choices, isn't it? And every choice determines the direction that we make. And what, does, and what that means is this. If you make the choice, if you make the decision to follow Jesus, you follow him when the sun is shining and you follow him when it's raining. You follow Jesus when things are popular and you follow him even when it's unpopular. It, it means you follow Jesus when things are joyful and you still follow him when life becomes painful. When you choose to follow Christ, it means when things are delightful, you follow him. And when things are difficult, you still follow him. When things are smooth sailing or when things are rough riding, you follow Jesus. Now the fact is, our day and our culture suffers from a plague of having too many choices, isn't it? Think about Netflix. Netflix has over 3,000 movies that you can choose. Imagine that. The average supermarket, if you go to an average supermarket, they have more than 48,000 items that you can choose from. A Starbucks barista is said to have 170,000 plus options to customize a coffee beverage. This phenomenon is called the paradox of choice. We now have more choices over more things than, than any other culture in human history. We can choose between a large array of foods, media sources, lifestyles, and identities. And an abundance of options actually requires more effort to make a decision and can actually leave us unsatisfied, leave us, you know, overwhelmed. In some ways, it's a positive, it's a positive thing. But you know what? It also becomes incredibly important to learn to decide well. That is why Jesus did not give us an array of choices. He doesn't say, you know, you have A, B, C, D, E, F, G. These are the choices you can have. No. Jesus gives us a single, actually two options, either to be his disciples or not. That's it. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're like that lady who went to her pastor, and she said to her pastor, you know, pastor, I just want to be a Christian. I don't want to be a disciple. I like my life the way it is. Or put another way, can a Christian, can, can one be a Christian and not be a disciple? Some of you are probably thinking, I, I want to be a Christian. I don't want to be a disciple. But you know what that lady was really saying is this. She's saying, I want to be a Christian but I don't want to be a disciple. I just want all the benefits without the cost of commitment. Now, if you think about it, that is an absurd way of thinking, right? Because if you read further, Jesus has to say in this verse, you will understand that 
Christianity, true Christianity, has a cost. There's a commitment involved. In fact, Jesus in our text is saying here, be a follower. If you become a follower, it will cost you. So if you say you're a Christian, Jesus is telling you to make up your mind. Now, we're not talking about salvation here, okay? Let me just make that clear. I'm not saying that if you want to be saved, it, you're going to have to do some things to be saved. No. This is the cost of following Christ. Because discipleship is not for the faint of heart. Salvation is free. No question about it. That's what the scripture says. But discipleship, to be a disciple, will cost you. It's not about following Jesus when it's convenient. Okay? Disciples follow Jesus because they decide to. Jesus here, and also I don't want you to be ignorant about this. That's why in this verse, Jesus proceeds to tell us what it means to be a disciple. But first, you need to make the choice. Here's the second point. A disciple denies himself or herself. And the operational word I want you to think about is the word allegiance. Okay? So Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, some of you are thinking, okay, that's me. I'm that guy. I'm deciding to follow Christ. Here's what he says. Luke chapter 9, 23. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Now, you have to understand what this means, okay? Jesus wasn't talking about, you know, self-denial the way some people talk about self-denial. Like, you know, you have to give up food to get thin, <laughs> Or you have to forego a night of TV so that you can study for an exam. The word deny actually is used only two times or in two contexts in the Gospels. First of all, this, this context. Jesus tells us what it means to be a disciple. You have to deny yourself. That's, one, uh, that's the first time it comes out. The second time that this word deny is used of Peter. Remember what happened to Peter, right? When people, when, when Jesus was arrested, everybody ran away, and Peter was in that little crowd looking at what's happening, and somebody comes and charges him, saying, hey, you, aren't you a disciple of Jesus? Aren't you one of his? And what did, how did Peter respond? I don't know that man. I'm not with him. That's a denial. That's what it means, right? So what did Jesus mean when he says you have to deny yourself? Well, it's like looking at yourself in the mirror and you point at yourself and said, I'm not with him. He's not who I follow. He's not who I live for. Denying yourself is saying to the person in the mirror, and that's you, of course, and telling yourself, I know you want to be attended to. But we're going to put ourselves last. We're going to put an apron and serve others. And you're telling yourself, I know, I, I think I should go first. But I'm going to go last. It, it's telling that man in the mirror. And he said, you know, I know you, you want to take revenge. But the Lord says, let vengeance be mine. So chill. Follow him. That's what it means to deny, to deny yourself. So that you will say, 
to the mirror, the man in the mirror, and say, I'm not following you. You're not who I live for. But the problem, as we know it, is that this goes against the grain of everything that we see and hear, right? From the radio to television to internet to social media, the message is always this. Promote yourself. Advertise yourself. Bless yourself. Glorify yourself. Put yourself. You are number one. Isn't it? That's the world we live in. You're going to be told your life is all about you. It's all about who you are. It's all about what you want to be. It's all about what you want to do. It's all about where you want to go. It's your right. You know, deserve mo yan. Diba? I mean, you know, you got it. You deserve it. And you know what? That is true if you are a cultural Christian. But if you're a disciple, that's not true. And that's the hard part. You see, every one of us here, we have ambitions in life, right? Everyone has desires. We all have our wants and our needs. We all have our priorities. For example, think about the older generations. When, when the older generations come together, what do they talk about? They talk about high blood, you know, cholesterol, you know, the medications they're taking, you know, I have arthritis and all of that, right? Well, what is their desire? They want quality of life, isn't it? What about the younger generations? When they come together, what do they think about? Some of them are you know, concerned about their studies. I, I want to finish college. I want to finish my degree. Others who have just started to work are, are very excited. I, I want my career to, 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 you know, to grow. I mean, others are thinking about their boyfriends and girlfriends. They're thinking, I want to get a family. I want to have a family. And so, for the younger generation, it's mostly about the future, right? Even us ministers, we have our dreams too. We, want, we have dreams for the congregations, for the church, what we want to accomplish. But you know, if you think about it, the truth is this. There are times when our desires are very holy, but there are times that when our desires are downright selfish, Right? So whatever these dreams and priorities may be, denying yourself means we renounce ourselves as the center of the universe and put Jesus at the center. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. He says, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. You know what loss is, right? You lose it. Verse 8. Whatever is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Did you notice he talked about losing something three times? He lost for him. It's nothing. It's rubbish in comparison to Jesus Christ. So whether it's a possession, whether it's a status, whether it's a desire, any gain, we see them as nothing or even as a loss in comparison to who Jesus is. That means Jesus is now over and above your relationships. 
He's over and above your money. He's over and above your possession and your status. He's over above your career. You put Jesus above, even over above your, your attitudes and your feelings. Here's the thing. Biblical denial is the intentional stepping away from relationship with the self as being primary. It's about, it's about who is now your primary allegiance, whether it's Jesus or ourself or yourself. You got that? When you talk about self-denial in the biblical sense in what Jesus is saying, it's about your allegiance now. It's, it's now about the kingdom of God and not your kingdom. It's now about his priorities and not yours. So, a disciple decides, makes a choice to follow. A disciple denies himself. There's a change of allegiance. And here's the third thing. A disciple dies daily. And that's the word, the word is surrender there. Look again, Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to them, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross. Hey, now, there's also this term that we hear today, right? People say when, when you hear the word take up your cross, they, they, they think of something like, you know, you have to put up some obnoxious person or you have to do some unpleasant thing or you have to live with this illness or this afflic affliction of some kind. You say, I, you know, that's my cross to bear. Others think it's, it's this temper or this, this worry that, that you have to battle with. As, this is the cross I have to bear. And I have to patiently tolerate these things as I take up my cross. Actually, that's not what Jesus meant here. We have to think, again, in terms of how the original audience understood what Jesus said. When Jesus said, you have to take up your cross... Everyone who heard him say that clearly understood what Jesus was talking about. Um, you know what the, the cross is a symbol of, right? It's a symbol of execution. It's a symbol of humiliation. It's a symbol of, of death. Now, the Romans at that time had many different ways that they could carry out an execution. Here's some. Sometimes they could just quickly and easily and cheaply kill someone. They can burn their enemies by fire. They can stone them to death. They can behead the person. They can give that person a poison. But there's one way that they killed people, which was the most cruel, the, the most horrible, the most terrible way, and it's by crucifixion. And that method was never easy. It was not quick. It was not cheap. You know, you had, to have, you had to go to a lot of trouble to crucify somebody. It, it, it would take, you, you will need soldiers to crucify someone. You, it was expensive. And it took a lot longer. It involved unbelievable suffering. But it was 100% effective. Everybody who got crucified will die. John MacArthur says there's an estimate perhaps during that time there's an estimated 30,000 crucifixions that occurred during the time of Christ. Today, we don't witness public executions anymore. But during the day of Christ, it was very normal. 
Let's imagine a, a dad and a, a young son walking al uh, along the way, and they see this man walking down the road with a cross beam on his shoulders. And the little boy will ask his dad, Dad, who's that? And this, the, the dad will say, Son, that's a dead man walking. And the, the boy will say, Really? He, he looks alive. And dad will tell him, Yeah, but he's really dead. You, know, you want to know what a disciple is? A disciple is a dead man walking. Let's modernize it a little bit, okay? Let's imagine you have been sentenced to death. Lethal injection or maybe by the electric chair. doesn't matter why you have been sentenced to death, okay? But consider this. What will be your mindset knowing that you're going to die? <laughs> knowing that you're going to be executed? Are you going to think about vacation? Are you going to think about going to Singapore next week or going to Canada for, you know, to transfer? Will you be thinking about your business? Or will you be looking at the profitability or making plans for expansion? Are you even going to be thinking about what you're going to eat for dinner or for lunch? Will you be excited about it? Right? You see, when Jesus says that you have to take up your cross, he's saying that we are to live as dead men. What does that mean? A, a young man once asked this old believer, what does it mean to take up your cross? The old man said, come, I'll show you. And he took this man to a fresh grave in the cemetery, and this old man looked at the dead man in the grave, and he said, brother, you are the worst pig that's ever lived. No one is as rotten as you. You are a terrible person. And then the old man looks at the young man and said, how did he respond? And the young man said, nothing. He's dead. Then the old man looked again at the same grave and he said to the man, you are a great person. You are beautiful. You are handsome. You are the most wonderful and perfect person in the world. And then he looked at the young man and he asked the man, how did he respond? The young man said, nothing, because he's dead. The wise old believer told the young man, that's what it means to take up your cross. Because a dead man no longer lives for what others say, whether they flatter him or curse him or bless him. He doesn't live for his agenda or for his future. He lives for God and for what matters to God. That's how it is. When you're dead, you what you value no longer matters. And by the way, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily. Why did Jesus say daily? <clears throat> Why? Because you know what? Being a disciple is not a part-time job. Being a disciple is, is not just a one-day-a-week work. Like, you know, I'm going to go to church today, so I'm a disciple today, and the rest of the week I'm not. It's a daily matter. You don't have a day off. You don't go on vacation. You take up your cross daily. In other words, every day of your life, the number one thing you ought to do as you start your day is to have a funeral because you either live for Christ and you die to yourself 
or you lived for yourself and you died of Christ. You know, Jesus never said, search for the cross. There's no need. He will bring it to you daily. And all you need to do is take it up in whatever form he brings it with full trust in him. That's what it means to take up your cross, to surrender to the Lord. So a disciple decides to follow. A disciple denies himself, that's allegiance. A disciple dies daily, that's about surrender. And here's the fourth thing. A disciple is a devoted follower. And the word I want you to think about is passion. Look at the last phrase. Then he said to them, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, once again, when you think about the first century Palestine, the people during the time of Christ, the word disciple is very different from the word disciple that we think about today. You know, some, the word disciple literally means a pupil, a student. So when you think about a student today, you think about a student in school, right? Somebody who has to learn information from a qualified teacher. 2,000 years ago, when you talk about a disciple or being a disciple, it meant something different. When you become a disciple to someone, you just did not get to school, you know, and, and go to school from 8 to 5 and then go home by the bus afterwards. That's not what it meant. When you became a disciple, it was not about information. It was really about transformation. You became an apprentice, and you wanted to become just like your teacher. When you became a disciple during those days, the days of Christ, you, know, you, you, just didn't, you, you didn't just want to learn what your teacher had learned. You wanted to live the way your teacher lived. And you didn't just want information in your head. You wanted transformation in your heart and in your life. You know, a disciple at that time would want to look like their teacher. A disciple at that time would want to talk the way their teachers talked. A disciple at that time would like to act and respond the way their teachers would respond. You know, as a matter of fact, the word follow is actually a very interesting word. And Jesus said, follow me, right? It's actually a compound word. It comes from two words. The first word, the, the prefix, is a word that means alike or the same. And the other word is the word way or walk. So when you put that together, the word follow literally means to take the same way or to walk the same road. That's what it means. And by the way, it's not just you know, following behind someone. It's actually walking beside someone because you're going in the same direction. And so when Jesus says, follow me, he's calling us to be all in. It's not being half-hearted. It's not wavering. It's not, you know, blowing hot or cold. That's what it means to follow him. You're going in the same direction, the way he wants you to go, and you're going with him. You follow him. You want to be like him. I read about this TV commercial. There was a man sitting on the chair he was in a tattoo parlor. So he actually he was there because he wanted to express his love for his girlfriend. His girlfriend's name was Donna. And so he wanted a tattoo on his arm 
And he said, you know, I want you to put the word, I love Donna, tattooed on my arm. So halfway through the, Sister Donna is laughing. Now half the, halfway through the procedure, he asks the tattoo you know, artist how much it would cost. And the guy said, it will cost you $50. So he pulls out his wallet and says, oh, no, I only have $30. What can you do with $30? And so the scene is cut. And we see this man storming, you know, running after his girlfriend because you know, his girlfriend was very angry. And the guy was running after him and he was shouting and pleading to his girlfriend, don't worry, I'll get it fixed, I'll get it fixed. And the scene zooms in on the tattoo. It now reads, I love Don. <laughs> you know, funny as it seems, that story tells us about the foolishness of doing something halfway. Jesus wants us to be all in. That's why you know, I believe the term Christian is, is kind of like a misnomer. I think it's the most empty word that people use. And here's the reason why. You know, some people think if a person goes to church, he's a Christian. Some people think if that person is baptized, he's a Christian. Others think that if that person is religious, she's a Christian. Some think if you believe in God, if you just believe in a God, you're a Christian. Some think if you, if you try to live a good life, you are a Christian. And the problem is, is this. The word Christian... It, it now means so many things to so many people that it's, it has become, it, has, it, meant, it means nothing to nobody. It's, it's really an empty term. And that's why I think it's better for us to call ourselves as, as followers of Jesus. You know why? Because that speaks of devotion. I'm a follower of Christ. That speaks of consistency. It speaks of a passionate and an unwavering pursuit. The question is this. What does Jesus really want? Why does he want us to become disciples? Only one word, actually. What he wants is you. He wants all of you. He wants every ounce of you. He wants every part of you. He doesn't want you to hold anything back, to bury anything under the rock. He wants all of you. And Jesus here does not sugarcoat it. Jesus is not a seeker-friendly preacher. And what he's saying is this. If you want to follow me, follow me with all you've got. You know, many people today come to church for different reasons, for different motives. They say, you know, I finally found a group of friends. Or I love the music in the church. Or the preaching is great. The pastor is so handsome, you know. <laughs> or I finally have an outlet for my talents. That's just a joke, okay? <laughs> but here's the balance, you know. I'm not saying that anything, any of these are wrong. But what if your friends leave? What if the music grows stale? What if the preacher is changed? What if the excitement is gone? Not only that, what, what if life becomes hard? What if you lose your job? What if your loved ones fail you? What if you get sick? What if the business fails? Will you still be willing to go all in as a disciple of Jesus Christ? 
Because the true Christian life is really not about settling for a life that is less than the one we have been called to live. And we have been called to become disciples. It is about a passionate pursuit. So here we learn four things from Christ. He says, a disciple decides to follow. You make a choice. It's intentional. You make that decision. Secondly, a disciple denies himself. That means you're looking at yourself in the mirror and says, you're saying to yourself, I'm not following that guy anymore. My allegiance is no longer to that person. A disciple dies daily. It means you are surrendering everything to the Lord. You are dead to your own passions, to your own desires, to your own ambitions, to your own agenda. And lastly, a disciple is a devoted follower. It's just this, it's a passionate pursuit of Christ. Not anymore a pursuit of what you want, but what Christ wants. Pretty heavy, isn't it? Amen? If you really think about it, you know, sometimes we come to church and we just want to hear about the good things, the nice things about discipleship, about being a Christian, about the, the benefits of being a believer of God. But you know what? As we end this message, I, I, wanna, I want you to understand something, okay? Let me just say this. Being a disciple is not like you know, being recruited for the Marines or the Army. It's not like Jesus comes along and he says, I'm looking for a few good men. Those who can count the cost. Those who can find in themselves enough commitment and, and resources to follow through to the end. That's not what it is, okay? And let me just tell you, honestly, discipleship, the word disciple convicts me. You know why? Because there are times in my own life when, when your pastor does not act like a disciple. And I'll be honest with you. I have been a Christian, and I have thought about this message, and I am convicted. I have been a Christian since I was in college. I've been a parent for more than 25 years. I, and I've seen myself as a stumbling disciple all of my Christian life. Here's the truth. Truth is this. No one has the resources in and of themselves to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. No one. Think about the apostles. What happened to them when Jesus was arrested and when the going went got, you know, when the going got tough? Everybody ran away, right? Everybody failed as a disciple. Jesus is not asking us to muster up enough commitment to become his disciples, but to understand the reality that we do not really have the resources to do so. So here's the question. And what does it, how do we become disciples? Here's the thing. Picture yourself on the harbor or on a pier. Okay? There's a boat where everything that you have, everything that you deem important in life, everything that you desire is on that boat. And then the boat leaves the harbor. <laughs> Discipleship is saying goodbye to that boat. And then turning to Jesus Christ and saying, Lord, I choose 
to be your disciple. Discipleship is really not about how much or what we have to offer, but a saying goodbye of all that we think we can offer. You know, the cults today will say to their disciples, you have to give up your possessions to the leader so that the organization will be sustained. Jesus says it the other way. He says, to be a disciple, you do not bring anything to him. Instead, you, have ev- you leave everything behind. You trust him and on his faithful provision of all that we need to do and all that he calls us to do that he will take care of us. The key really is not obedience because even that we are not capable of. No one is perfect. No one can perfectly obey. The key is dependence. For without him, we can do nothing. That's what it means to be a disciple. You know, we just crossed 2024, right? I hope you've had the time to reflect on the year that was on the year that's going to be. One of the questions that we need to ask ourselves is this. Are you a Christian? Or are you a disciple? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We know this is a hard word. And even as we reflect on our own lives, we realize how often we have just actually been Christians by name and not really disciples of Jesus Christ. And we humbly ask, O Lord, that you will stir up in our hearts, that your Holy Spirit will be the one to give us the strength It is by your grace and by your mercy and by your guidance that we can become true disciples of Christ. And Lord, we bow ourselves before you. We know on our own we cannot do it. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Not because of what I have, not because of the resources that I have, But because of the power of the Holy Spirit, you have called us, you have called me to be your disciple. Father God, we humbly bow down ourselves before you. We repent and we ask for forgiveness for the times when we have just lost focus. We have lost sight of the calling that you have given to us. And may your word convict us. May your word encourage us by the power of your Holy Spirit. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.